was a place I'd give the world to see Where the music softly playing And the rhythms gently swaying Underneath the stars in a million bars Guitars are softly saying Mexico Yep, that's where we're off to now, to Campeche in Mexico, and uh, it's a very good evening to uh, our good friend John Bonfilio. John, very good evening to you. Good evening, Martin. How are you? Uh, I'm absolutely fine. Yourself? Yep, all good, thank you. Good, good. Well, that's good news. Now, interesting story uh, in the papers last week. Two boys have been found alive in the Amazon rainforest after wandering lost for 26 days. This is an amazing story. These two boys are aged six years old and eight years old, belonging to the Mura indigenous group, set out from their parents' home to catch small birds uh, on February the 18th, but lost their way and were found by a woodsman almost a month later, four miles from home. Um, they told their parents they'd not found anything to eat, surviving only by drinking rainwater. Uh, they were dehydrated, I bet they were disorientated and uh, covered in scratches, according to the uh, media outlet Amazonia Real. Um, that is remarkable, isn't it? 26 days um, wandering in the, uh, in the jungle or the Amazon rainforest. Yeah, absolutely. And all the more remarkable for their age, which has been presented as being either six and eight or seven and nine. But uh, indigenous groups don't tend to measure these things you know, in the way that you, you or I would. <clears throat> Excuse me. But uh, as you say, I mean, absolutely remarkable. I think there are some things which the media doesn't isn't really sort of picking up on here, which are interesting to maybe draw out. Um, and, and one of the things I'd say is that, you know, a six and an eight year old. Uh, from an indigenous group in the jungle are not going to be your average six and eight year old. Um, I mean, the very fact that they were sent hunting small birds by themselves or trapping small birds and went out into the jungle to do this without, you know, parental supervision doesn't suggest to me that they weren't really being cared for. It suggests to me that they already had a fair wherewithal in terms of, you know, um, uh, the jungle and the, the do's and don'ts and, and the, the whys and wherefores and, and how to, how to get through things. And then the other thing that I'd say is when they oftentimes um, when people in these communities say they haven't eaten anything, actually often they mean meat. They haven't caught something to eat. But that doesn't actually mean specifically that they haven't, you know, foraged berries and leaves and so right. on. Uh, and actually a closer search into, you know, what happened with these boys does suggest that they very much knew what was edible within the jungle and so on. So actually, in a way, the, the question isn't their age it's the fact that they are from this Mura indigenous group and and they actually managed to hold it together for that you know in a place that, that they knew pretty darn well uh, for that period of time but notwithstanding you know a month in that particular space uh, and yeah there was 200 odd people looking for them for a, a yeah. week 10 days didn't find them and then parts of the community continued to to go out and search and it was only when they heard a woodsman um 26 days in chopping a tree that they actually started shouting and actually this woodsman turned out turned out to be a friend of their of their fathers and then uh, yeah took them to took them on the, his canoe down back towards the community and then i had them airlifted out uh, to manaus this is all it's worth saying in brazil's massive you know a amazonia state which is you know absolutely huge and and impenetrable um so yeah i mean i guess the two big stories that you know we know well come out of the amazon always are deforestation rates you know reach another mm. record level and also people lost in in the amazon you know they, they're, they're... 
sorry, passing mode of mic. The two things, the two things that uh, that you know the, the the Western media tends to to fixate on. Yeah, absolutely. And you had your own experience. This is uh, five years ago, wasn't it? Um, you had your own experience being um, in, in the Amazon rainforest as well. Yeah, I've, I've been down that way um, uh, a few times, uh, working with indigenous groups down there. But as, as I was saying before, actually, it's really interesting how you know you you come into some of these communities, and actually, not not down there, but in Mexico, say, I, yeah, I know eight, ten-year-olds in really isolated spots here who can handle horses like a pro, handle knives and machetes and guns like a pro. And it's just because of, you know, where it is that they've grown up and, and so on. My own jungle experience was here in Mexico's southern jungle uh, about five and a half years ago now where I went uh, <laughs> kind of missing, I guess. I disappeared mm, for a, yeah. uh, for a, for a seven-day Period, but yeah, luckily emerged uh, from that, and I was happy that it was seven days and not twenty-six. Yeah, absolutely. I'm um, I'm just looking at the um, the Marble House Project, um, who have a whole page. Is it, are you, is that still going? There's a page about you there. Um, yeah, I did a yeah did a residency up there a few years ago. Um, if that's in Vermont, the USA, so I don't know what they're saying about my jungle experience. Yeah. Well, it, it says in October 2016, he received widespread international attention after going missing in the Mexican jungle for six days, surviving in just his underwear, it says here, on a diet of raw fish captured in a mosquito net. Is that fairly accurate? Yeah, it is. It is fairly accurate. Yeah. Part of the, the press coverage was bizarre. It reached New Zealand, New Zealand uh, media outlets uh, amongst various others. But uh, yeah, no, I've lost everything within the first day. Basically, lost absolutely everything except for a mosquito net, my underwear, and a small pair of scissors. Wow. Um, and yeah, had to make do with that for for the next seven days, which was for sure far from ideal. But we kind of, I guess, made it work. There were four of us stuck in the middle of the jungle. Within the first two days, we realised that continuing to move was probably a mistake. So we just try to find somewhere. Uh, that we could we could hold out and be relatively safe. Um, so we did that, and then basically waited for, um, you know, for for help to arrive. One of the strange things about, I mean, there's a lot of strange things about that particular experience, you know, which which uh, one could recount. But one of the strangest things was we figured help would be sent, and because of the jungle being impenetrable, that um, perhaps air support would be sent. So we made a bit of a clearing in the jungle, put out any colourful stuff that we you know, that we could to alert people to to our presence. And I think it was on about the third day, on the Wednesday, we started to hear light aircraft um, overhead. So every time we did that, we heard that, we'd, you know, go out into the clearing and then, uh, you know, make noise and wave up at the sky and then, you know, hold coloured bits of clothing out and so on. But then that happened for a day and nobody saw us. And that happened for another day and nobody saw us. And eventually on the Friday or the Saturday, we were rescued by a couple of people on a boat who lived in the middle of the of the jungle and it was only later a few weeks further down the line that we worked out that actually the light aircraft weren't coming to look for us they were dropping uh stuff at various points in the in the jungle and were not official uh bodies of people at all and so it was actually pretty good and lucky that they didn't see us yeah absolutely so otherwise um, that would have been a, a different problem yeah 
Well, it would have been, yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, what, wh why did you get stranded? I mean, you just, did you, did you have a boat that sank or, or what, you know, what, how did you? We were, we were in canoes. We were in open canoes. We do a lot of journey on open canoes. It's a really good way of traveling long distances and, uh, being able to, to access inaccessible spaces uh, here in Tabasco, Campeche, but also in various parts of the world, the Amazon as well. It's almost the best way of travel because there are lots of these places that don't have roads that, you know, you, you, you basically your only way of getting to some of these remote communities that are completely surrounded by water is on open canoe. So we were on this, on a journey down uh, the Candelaria River in the, in the south of, of Mexico. And it was, um, it was a, uh, like a new journey between two particular points that we were engaged on. Um, but then there was a, it was the, the end of the rainy season. So there was a different level of flooding to, to normal. And also bizarrely, the community above where we were had, um, had struggled with flooding. So had decided to dynamite its section of the river, uh, which led to its river path basically uh, deviating off into you know eight ten twelve fourteen different rivers uh, which then meant that you had whole new waterfalls that existed where they didn't exist right. before uh, which was you know stuff that we that we didn't know about at all and not just that we didn't know about the locals didn't know about until we were right in the thick of it so what we expected to be a fairly straightforward 24-hour journey with a single waterfall that we would have to navigate ended up being a seven day, you know, jungle ordeal in which within the first 36 hours, I reckon we probably had to navigate maybe, I don't know, 10, 12 waterfalls in the, you know, in the range of four to six meters high in open canoes, which you know, each one of those is, I mean, just, just telling you about this, actually, I'm not a particularly expressive soul, but my palms begin to sweat <laughs> when I remember, I when I remember, it's sort of because, you know, Take, you know, going over a four, six meter waterfall in an open canoe, two open canoes with four of you, uh, is, is not that straightforward a gig. And to do that repeat, you know, you're, you're on heightened alert the entire time. Uh, the adrenaline is flowing and you, you obviously can't go back up river. So you just have to push on and get deeper and deeper into, into the problem and, and manage as best you can this, uh, you know, this difficult, literally and metaphorically fluid situation. Wow. Wow. I mean, I had a bit of a nightmare on the Jubilee line uh, coming in. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really compare. That's a fantastic story. Um, tell me about uh, Nicaragua. We were talking about the politics of the various countries in Latin America. You know, a little guide was in one of the Sunday papers. Um, what's going on in uh, Nicaragua? Yeah, I like to think that anybody who's interested in Nicaraguan politics uh, or social history comes, you know, makes a beeline for your show on uh, the weekend. <laughs> Martin. Sure I, don't, I, don't do. imagine talk I don't imagine talk radio does much coverage of Nicaragua uh, other than other than late night with with you. But yeah, one of the, this is amazing because you know, as we've spoken about on your on your show, there's been widespread repression of um, of political opponents and, and dissent in Nicaragua over the last few years under the government of President uh, Daniel Ortega. There were there were elections in. In November, and it got, I mean, comical, ridiculous, the extent to which he was arresting opposition figures. I mean, independently, six presidential candidates and over 40 uh, you know, individuals were arrested uh, by him. But what's amazing 
this week and what's hit the news this week is that you've got a kind of a UN for the Americas here called the Organization of American States. And Nicaragua's ambassador to the OAS, to the Organization of American States this week, Arturo McFeels, spoke out against the government that he represents. Um, he's, he was an amazing attack, attack, which on, you know, in his words, an indefensible government in which he attacked the repression, the human rights abuses, the cracking down on on freedom of speech. And he said that the Nicaraguan government at the moment under Daniel Ortega is one in which nobody listens uh, and nobody speaks. And, uh, you know, that's definitely reached the, the world's media and highlights the massive problems with the there's no way, other way to put it with the, total, the current totalitarian regime uh, in Nicaragua and the abuses that are taking place there and have done for the last few years. Well, let's hope there's a politician in uh, Russia who can uh, who can do similar um, at the moment, because that's what we're all um, we're all hoping for in uh, in Europe. Um, Finally, in Argentina, this is this is an interesting one. Grenades stop play. Uh, tell me about tell me about that story. Yeah, and actually, they didn't even stop play. They just postponed. They delayed play for a little bit. So this was last uh, Sunday afternoon in Rosario, Argentina, Argentina, the third biggest city in uh, in the country, and you know probably its most important industrial site. It's part of an industrial belt, and and the. The two big football teams there are Rosario Central, Central, and Newell's Old Boys, uh, famous for Marcelo Bielsa and, mm. and Leo Messi. Actually, the, the, their stadium is called the Marcelo Bielsa uh, Stadium, and it's definitely the biggest football rivalry in the city. But just before kickoff the other day, uh, it was delayed by the fact that grenades were thrown onto the pitch. And uh, and, and remarkably, you know, it wasn't all cancelled, uh, as, I, as I say. Uh, the officials just uh, postponed play. Some tweets were issued. And the crater holes were filled uh, up until uh, the pitch was ready again. And then the fixture took place. For anybody who's interested, <laughs> Newell's old boys uh, won 1-0. Uh, Obviously, they were at home and, um, and, and so on. But, yeah, you know, absolutely remarkable that, that that took place. And we spoke only a couple of weeks ago about the incidents incidents in Mexico between yeah. Querétaro and, and Atlas. So it's definitely not been a good uh, period of time for for football and football violence in, in Latin America. The big ones in Argentina always are Boca Juniors and River Plate, but this reminds us that actually that, uh, you know, local rivalries, not just in Argentina, but in many parts of, of Latin America are very much, you know, lived on the edge, uh, and have the capacity to flare up when you least expect it. Grenades was definitely a surprise last Sunday. Uh, yes, I mean, you know, there's been a lot of hooliganism in uh, the UK over the years, but uh, grenades have never been so far, have never no. been uh, been used. Uh, and Newell's Old Boys is obviously one of those, uh, one of the few Argentinian teams that we all know because of Bielsa and um, because of Lionel Messi. You know, I think it, there's a documentary about Lionel Messi which is going doing the rounds and, uh, you know, that's mentioned on there as well. Um, as always, thanks ever so much, John, and uh, we'll um, continue with our little niche spot again next week, if that's if that's okay. Yes. Uh, next week, El Salvador. Yes. Well, you know, wherever we like to, we like to range over the whole of uh, Latin America. Thanks ever so much, uh, John. We'll talk again next week. Take care. There we go, uh, John Bonfilio. Uh, joining us from Campeche in uh, Mexico.